Hello, welcome back. Uh, this is the Cannabis Capital Growth Stake and Bank Podcast. I'm Jamie McMillan, a registered investment advisor in Colorado, here in Durango in Southwest Colorado. It's a beautiful sunny day, and I've got some great things to share with you in this show. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the growth rate or, and also the addressable market of cannabis. We'll also talk a little bit about what's a kind of a new vehicle, the Cannabis SPAC, which is uh, an acronym for a special purpose acquisition company. And also I'll cover three stocks and a bonus stock for you. So what do we know uh, about the industry? A famous philosopher in China, Lao Tse, had a quote called, to attain knowledge, add things every day, but to attain wisdom, remove things every day. You know, sort of take what you need and leave what you don't. Um, for you yogis out there, I used to practice a little bit myself. Um, but nonetheless, cannabis is a big business. And I think a good way to look at it is comparing it to the liquor, wine, beer, not so much the tobacco industry, just because of the health issues. Uh, not that that's a big industry. It's over $100 billion in the United States. But the one thing I wanted to find out is how do I, how do I get a relative basis for selecting stocks in this space. It's real easy to do that in more, you know, predictable or mature industries. You know, best example, probably Tesla and electrification of the car market in the United States. Well, you can look at their peers on a relative basis, see how they're doing uh, and owning market share. Same thing with other industries. I mean, we love stocks, for example, in the fast casual like Chipotle, Mexican Grill, and we can see how their uh, product and growth lines up to, say, a McDonald's or a Brinker restaurant, uh, which is a composite of different restaurant companies. So what we're always trying to find as a growth investor, though, right, is the one thing that is the holy grail where you start. And that's what kind of compound annual growth rate is that particular industry you know, giving us? And whether it's tech or, or the other sectors we talk about. I don't think cannabis should be any different. You know, the interesting thing is how close this industry is of the topics that I was saying around beer and alcohol wine sales. Cannabis is really getting very close to what we have in the United States addressable market for beer. Uh, that, that level for beer right now is over $100 billion addressable market for beer sales. Cannabis right now is hitting about an $80 billion addressable market. So they're very close. And what's distinctive about this is not so much the, the market addressable market is that the beer industry is really always, it's a tough business. It's extremely competitive. And what you've noticed, whether it's, you know, Coors, Molson Coors or Budweiser or you know, all the, the paps and, 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 you know, big labels of, of, of modern beer companies, they have really had to innovate, right? They've had to produce those spirits in ways that are less calories, uh, healthier, if you will, if that could be said, and, and really trying to get to the consumer where the caloric intake is not as high and, and somewhat of a healthier experience um, and dosing, if you will, uh, around the alcohol business and that's happening with cannabis. So, uh, what was once just flower sales is tremendously growing. 
in addition, you know, edibles, vape products, of course, and beverages are coming too for cannabis. We have a couple companies we're tracking the cannabis beverage space, but all those form factors are really um, almost unlimited in, in the cannabis space, uh, particularly as microdosing catches on. But again, I'll leave you with that subject in the sense that if you're going to look at cannabis for your portfolio, and you may have been an investor in alcohol or tobacco companies um, or other related types of industries, this one in particular, like I said, Cal Winning Company, um, some of the research investment banking groups out there have been pretty right on uh, about the 20% uh, or higher compound annual growth rate in terms of sales and revenue. Now, that's not saying all the cannabis companies are profitable, right? I mean, you probably own a couple or in your portfolio that you probably wish you didn't. Uh, I admit we have too. Uh, but, you know, right now we're seeing a reversal uh, where a lot of those assets were sold off last year, particularly by investors. But now we're seeing investors come back to this space because outside of technology and some other industries, they're looking for um, a really good growth stock idea. Uh, you know, one of the most successful mutual funds I ever saw run was by Peter Lynch, the Magellan Fund. And, and you know, back then when he was running that fund, it was the most popular fund in the United States. But, but Peter had a way of finding good companies that were actually often even, you know, small and mid-cap companies that became really large companies. And he, he really increased his holding period for those, which when you do that, you have a higher chances of success. So this is a this is a sector that, uh, you know, I anticipate not long from now, it could actually be part uh, of, of more and more indexes and uh, investments uh, through these mutual funds and other vehicles. Uh, we happen to manage our portfolios more in individual stocks. So, uh, you know, at a 1% annum uh, fee to manage the portfolio versus a mutual fund, I always tell clients the distinction is, you know what you own in your portfolio with us because you actually own the companies. So the other thing we want to know about investing, of course, is always like who, you know, Apple's knows their customers, right? Google knows their customers. Uh, Facebook, those kind of tech companies obviously know the customers in the addressable market. The cannabis industry in itself is really a consumer oriented experience. So, I like to track the Gallup polls and the Gallup polls always kind of focus more on elections. But in 2019, this is really good for the industry. I think overall, the American population is about at a rate of 66% approval. It's certainly higher than, you know, any, <laughs> most things out there uh, to support legalization. And we've seen that come through in the form of ballot initiatives we all know these are going on, Arizona, uh, Mississippi, Montana, whatever, particularly coming up next week. But the American public in general has had a big leap from 10 years ago where Gallup poll was something like 44% supporting legalization. So even in that short period of time, you can see that the attitudes have changed dramatically. And I want to say real quickly, too, it's, it's not just a uh, typical a Democrat or a more progressive platform view. We're seeing uh, a lot more Republicans come back or come into this uh, support uh, as they see the different variations of way cannabis can be used. 
you could see big supporters like Matt Gates in, in uh, Florida as a younger representative, um, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, supportive of this. Our own uh, senator here in Colorado, Cory Gardner, has sponsored some safe banking regulations for the cannabis industry and pretty supportive at the margin. So our younger lawmakers are definitely, uh, let's say, more open and it's less of a partisan issue around the space. Now, if you're walking, watching this as close as we are in Washington, there's no doubt uh, there are significant bills uh, in both chambers of, of Congress. And some of them are focused on sort of decriminalization, descheduling marijuana uh, from the Schedule One, things that we read about, of course, daily. But the big one is the Safe Banking Act, because you think about it, the biggest really barrier to cannabis companies has been not the sales, not the products, not the innovation. It's been the access to capital. Um, you can imagine an industry that has such high taxation, um, such high regulation, and at the end of the day, they still can't really bank with the big major banks of uh, you know, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, or whatever, or even community banks. And that's a big discount that actually is reflected in the stock prices. So I think once that clears up a bit better, uh, it's a rational step for the federal government to come forward and say, you know, this is a this is a job paying industry. This is a treatment uh, that could potentially help many, many people get off, uh, you know, pharmacology, if you will, kind of uh, drugs. And and it's had some success in doing so. And so it becomes very pragmatic then to address the banking situation because you just can't have, you know, armored cars full of cash. Uh, you also see digitization that's very strong, right? Digital sales are up huge with cannabis dispensaries. So we're getting there. I think that it will um, become less of a partisan issue as all these states fill up with legislative uh, referendums uh, at the ballot box to support the uh, cannabis industry. So stay tuned on that one. I think after the election, uh, we'll have more clarity on whether this becomes part of the uh, the CARES Act, which has been maintained by the um, House Democrats to keep that in that bill as part of the sort of some, you know, relief packages, if you will, coming up uh, hopefully after the election. You know, the other thing I'm always looking at, too, is the players in the industry. Um, most of us can probably name a few CEOs of company, you know, Tim Cook of Apple, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, Microsoft, you know, those kind of stories, you know, those familiarizations become very easy because we use those products all the time. The cannabis space is getting into a new phase. And I think probably the best way to describe it is the new phase of financial engineers. The engineers in the finance business are mainly on the coast. And obviously that's the private equity guys and gals um, and, and those kinds of things that are raising money uh, to acquire private assets. And, you know, admittedly the cannabis industry has had some, some greed that took place, uh, you know, not corruption really, but just an overabundance of high salary pay, paid people in the beginning. Uh, some of the founders of the companies retaining themselves on boards of directors or in management. 
And that's, you know, that's fine. They, they really were some of the trailblazers for the industry. But this juncture we're at, we're not really seeing them be um, the type of people that need to be in the accounting room. So I think it's a good sign. The financial engineers, the bankers, the lawyers, and the M&A people are now in the cannabis space. And that leads me to the, uh, the SPAC, which is kind of a new creature. Uh, last year, the Marijuana Intention SPAC, if you will, the Special Purpose Acquisition Company, which is basically a blank check for the, uh, the company that's created through the SPAC to go out and buy private cannabis assets, either their debt or their stock, and, and, and reform and streamline the operations and make it more of a consumable type of experience than say the you know the old school dispensary we we think more of. So SPACs are coming on uh, big. Last year the SPAC industry, or if you will, uh, the vehicles raised somewhere around two and a half billion dollars. Uh, that's ex really sped up here in the last fourth quarter of 2020, and I think 2021 we'll see more of these come up. And and, and by example, Colorado passed laws. Last year, that allowed outside companies to buy, you know, private assets in Colorado by other entities. And we're already seeing these kind of vehicles come in and look at, um, you know, existing profitable uh, dispensary chains, extractions, cultivation, you know, vertical sales, that kind of thing. So SPACs are interesting. I wouldn't say I jump into them right now, only because, you know, these things have parameters around them, the SPACs. They got to actually get this deal done within three months of coming public uh, to buy up the private assets. They need a lot of financials and corporate governance. Um, and so there's some techni technical things around SPACs that I think uh, are very fine to look at, but you got to put a big filter on them. And for the average retail investor right now, I don't think that's necessarily um, where you want to go just because I see so many other cannabis assets where the valuations in the public stocks look a lot more attractive, I think more than ever. And that leads me to talk about what you're probably on the show for, and I would be too, what are the companies that you're looking at, Jamie? That's probably what people are asking. And by the way, this uh, podcast now, we can actually take questions uh, once you hear the show. So go ahead and feel free to do that. And if you want more information about us uh, at cannabiscapitalgrowth.com, you can see some of the holdings. So let's get right into the companies I think that really are at least a, uh, a way to start investing in the space in a diversified way. Again, we own 13 to 18 companies on average. So no, don't look at the cannabis space as 100% of your portfolio. You may want to start at about 10 to 15% of your portfolio at the most, but within that percentage, just like you would do in any type of diversified portfolio, you want to have at least 10 to 15 companies in different areas of the cannabis sector. And that could be an extraction. That could be the multi-state operators in the United States. It could be one of the Canadian licensed producers um, that have been successful. So, um, and, and some that are, you know, like True Leaf Cannabis in Florida, I told you about last episode, that's purely a medical play, and that's a great company with over 60 dispensaries out there, and they've been very successful, very well managed, 
And I told you about that last time. I think the soccer was at 12 and now it's at 22. So the three, though, that I want to talk about real quickly here, though, as we kind of wrap this up for this episode, uh, the first is Innovation Industrial Properties. Many of you may own this, this company. Uh, the, the concept's pretty simple. You have you know, a great an a cannabis portfolio that is somewhere in a state of California or uh, you know, any jurisdiction that it's been legal. The, the problem is the operators are strapped for cash. So Innovative comes in and does a sale leaseback. And so basically it's uh, giving cash to the company and then they'll lease uh, their assets back, you know, through the REIT, REIT being a real estate investment trust. If you own Innovative back in 2016 at $17 at IPO, today you would have a money uh, change of 7x on your on your investment because the stock's trading 116 a share. I mean, it's a fantastic business model. So a predictive type of start where you don't have to worry so much about um you know, the near term future, a REIT is a good place to start. And right now, Innovative Industrial Properties has a yield of 4% with a 468 a share dividend. And I think that uh, even at 116, I think the, the trajectory is very good for the cannabis REIT industry. And, and Innovative is a good place to start. It's IIPR. And again, they have 63 properties in their portfolio. And I think that's. Um, a good way to look at it. If you want to look at a, 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 a second sort of wave of these, probably the one that I've seen recently that looks interesting is Subversive Real Estate Acquisition. And it's a REIT too. I think the properties are like 12 properties right now. It's not as big as IIPR, uh, but the valuation is about $200 million. So I think they'll go about the same model and you can find that. Uh, we don't own that right now, but I think that would be a secondary REIT to look at. The second company I'm going to look at is one I talked to you about before, and I hope you bought it when I told you, but it's Planet 13 in Las Vegas. Uh, I had a client call me one day and ask me, you know, is there such a thing as a Planet 13? And I said, well, all you have to do is get off the plane in McCarran Airport and every Liber, uh, Liber, excuse me, Uber or Lyft driver knows where this dispensary is. The thing that's unique about this, and I think they're onto something here, is they have a, you know, a now a 23,000 square foot store, thousands of SKUs, any kind of form factor of cannabis you want. And I mean, 1600 people a day go through Planet 13. That's just remarkable. Um, we've also found out the average spend for a customer in that store is about $123. So this is more of a big box Costco model. But I think judging from their revenue and their sales, they have done very good on execution and the, you know, more success allows you to raise more capital and expand. And here, here's a good kind of add on on planet 13. They just uh, recently with four or 5 million in cash and stock have bought a dispensary license in Santa Ana, California. I know that area. I used to live there in Orange County. There are over 3 million people uh, in that density population. So once that store comes online, you're going to see a lot of folks where uh, cannabis is not sold necessarily in their particular municipality. They're going to cross over into Santa Ana and pick up, I think, even a higher ticket per day uh, in that store. So I think management is solid. I think they understand uh, shareholder um, 
you know, in terms of protecting their shareholders, in terms of not diluting the company. Uh, the company was successful recently in raising some more cash. But I think I was talking the stock here. It was like $2 and something in that last show. Uh, it, you know, hit $4 here recently, pulled back to three something. But I think this is going back over $4 a share. And this company is doing $100 million a quarter in sales. So this is not going away tomorrow. I would look at Planet 13. I would watch that uh, facility in Santa Ana as it uh, hits its opening day once construction's done. This might be a big box model, you know, uh, a Costco or Walmart type of thing that uh, with with more and more st uh, stores coming online, uh, it could be a really interesting, expansive story. So early investors here, I think, have done well. That's Planet 13, ticker P PLNHF. The other one I want to go over is one you may own your portfolio. I think this is a pretty widely known company in the multi-state operators is Green Thumb Industries. Green Thumb has been a phenomenal stock, uh, phenomenal company. They have a tremendous uh, fan base, uh, raging fans, I would say, for their dispensaries, for their experience in their uh, rise locations in Pennsylvania and stores in Illinois. Now that Illinois is legal, you have a stock here that got low as $4.75 a share back in March. Of course, a lot of stocks were cheap during the, the sell-off of COVID, but the stock has come back, you know, tremendously. It's it's now fifteen dollars and seventy-four cents a share. The uh, the dispensary locations they have, though, I think are are smartly played. Uh, eight Pennsylvania licenses and operations right now. Um, eight in Illinois, and more being added really weekly almost. Uh, and Ben Kovler, who's the CEO founder, has done just a great job of executing, you know, the strategy. They try to keep their cost in line. They are attentive to their customers. They have good branding. And I see them as a vertical because they also have 13 manufacturing facilities. So this ticker is GTBIF, um, GTBIF. And right now the stock, I say 15 and a half or so per share. You know, this company's doing revenue of $500 million a year. I think this is one you could add to your portfolio as they expand, uh, particularly as Pennsylvania may look to, to uh, broaden their legislation on cannabis. And, you know, having an East Coast footprint is a, a big opportunity, particularly as New Jersey, New York, and other jurisdictions, Connecticut even, looking at legalization. There's nothing better than being a, uh, bringing a successful brand story uh, from one state to another, it makes the operation launch so much easier. So Green Thumb, uh, we own it in our portfolio. We've had it from the beginning. I think it's a great company. Uh, it's also a good company that's good for the environment. I think they've done a good job on uh, telling their customers that they are sustainable. They want uh, light packaging that doesn't uh, uh, put too much of a footprint on the environment. And they're very conscious about that, including you know, some social sort of equity programs they've been involved with, with the state of Illinois. So that's the three stocks that I would say that, you know, that you would look at. Again, if you're going to build a portfolio of 12 to 15 stocks, you have a REIT, you've got a, uh, a big box concept through Planet 13, and you have a multi-state operator in Green Thumb Industries. And then 
I'll just conclude and tell you, you know, not to forget about True Leaf Cannabis uh, as Florida, the medical market, um, they are uh, significant leaders in 60 dispensaries. I, you know, they're profitable. They actually have a PE multiple of around 20 times earnings. Uh, the stock, I think the last time I talked was, you know, 12 to 14 a share. And, and now it's trading around 23 a share. So that one, I think you can still go back to and pick up uh, at these prices because, you know, for a company growing that fast to find a, a growth stock, if you will, in the sector with a 20 times earnings, you know, that's pretty cheap. Um, and because, and, you know, you look at technology companies trade 60, 80 times earnings. So don't forget about True Leave, but definitely take a look at the three I, I showed you last. Again, Jamie McMillan here coming to you from Durango, Colorado, and I appreciate you being on the call today. Our listener group is growing. We are now on Apple Podcasts. I would help uh, or be glad if you had some questions to send in through the messaging center. And if you want to visit our website, it's www.cannabiscapitalgrowth.com. And until then, I'm Jamie McMillan. I'll see you later.